Thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Let's study the word together. In Galatians chapter 6 and in verse 1, the Bible says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. I want to talk to you tonight from a Bible study titled Spirituality. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your love and your grace. Lord, thank you for Christian friends. Father, I thank you for this church, for the people who are being saved, the people who are growing, the lives that are being touched, the community that's being transformed. God, and I pray, Lord, that you be glorified by our meeting tonight. Bless our children's church. Bless our youth. And bless this time now for your study. In Jesus' name, amen. Spirituality. Spirituality is a buzzword in America because spirituality is hard to define. People can make spirituality mean to them what they want it to mean to them. People can take the word spirituality and assign it to themselves without ever even realizing what it means to be spiritual. Um, You look on social media sites, they ask for religious preference, and you can just check spiritual. You can check spiritual, but not religious. Um, So spiritual has taken on a brand new meaning just in this last generation. Spirituality always had an implication of God in previous generations. And God always had the overriding implication of Jehovah, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in this country um, and around the world prior to this generation. Because of the advent of the Internet, because of our exposure to uh, cultures thousands of miles away from us, religions thousands of miles away from us, these words are evolving into new meanings. These words have taken on new shapes in our lifetime. But when I talk about spirituality, understand that I'm talking about the spirituality that comes from the Holy Spirit of God the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ living in you, abiding in you, and making change in you. When I talk about spirituality, I'm not talking about Eastern mysticism. I'm not talking about Islam. I'm not talking about um, the AA theory of whatever higher power is to you. That, that's just hilarious. That's like saying um, if I asked Nixa, who is your spouse? And then she said, well... Deacon Henry is my spouse. And then I asked Deacon Henry, well, who was your spouse? And he says, well, it's just whoever I choose it to be and whoever I choose to view as my. He, she won't hurt you, man. He's nervous already. Be, be nice to him. He's a good man. And uh, that, wouldn't, <laughs> that wouldn't make any sense. Nobody would go for that. They're like, it just can't be whatever you choose. It's got to be what it is. It can't be just any old thing you want it to be. You can't make God out of a rock. And when people in the faith of Jesus Christ talk about spirituality, we're talking about one God, one faith, one Lord, and we're talking about one Holy Spirit. But the verse, our opening text says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you are spiritual. Restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Now, always pay attention to the punctuation. It's Wednesday night Bible study, so we want to slow it down, take the time that we have, get out on time, and learn a few things. 
brethren, comma. When you're reading, you need to understand the context of the statements that are being written as you read them. Because you can make something say what it doesn't really say if you try hard enough. But if you read it contextually, if you let the previous verse add, uh, set up the current verse, and you let the current verse build toward the next verse, then you're reading in context. And if you pay attention to the words uh, and the specific nature of the words, then you can stay true to the text. When it says brethren and it gives a comma, a comma, easy to remember, gives you cause for pause. You see a comma in literature, that should give you cause for pause. You should stop and think about that and you should say, okay, well, what am I reading here? Okay, so when you see that word brethren, who can we know that this passage is speaking to contextually? Christians. This is speaking to Christians. When the Bible says brethren, it's not just talking about the, the brother and sister biologically of the writer. It's talking about Christian brothers and sisters, and I hope that's us. Then it goes on to say, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, comma. So we've got to think offset by commas this phrase, if a man is overtaken in any trespass. And if you want to do the text justice, as you try to understand what you're reading, you have to pay attention to each word. And it says, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, so you would have to give consideration to, is this context pointing to gender-specific nature of a man? Is this, does it go on to contrast what it would be like if a woman did it? Or is this one of those majority of the times when the Bible says man is talking human and not gender-specific. This is talking human. This is using mankind, any person. If any person is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Okay, so here's the reality. It's talking to what type of people? And it's saying that men and women who are Christians are capable of being overtaken in a trespass. All right? Now, God tells us things not to waste time. God tells us what to do if one of our Christian brothers or sisters gets overtaken in a trespass because this is going to happen. You don't give instruction. If you ever had a parent or if you as a parent ever set your child down and you showed them the exit route, possible exit, safe exit routes, if the house was to catch on fire, that's really good parenting. You should do that with your children. They should know exit routes. My children know escape and evade routes. My children know, based on what, what I'm yelling at them, which window it's time to go out of versus coming through their door. My children know how high to be on the sheetrock above and below my sight line. Uh, that, that's just good parenting and excessive military training. But if you set your children down and said... Now, in case all of our silverware turns into giant polka-dotted flying elephants and they were flying around the room, here's what I want you to do. And you went into a bunch of training, you would just be crazy and wasting your time and their time. God's not crazy, and he's not wasting our time or his time. He's giving us this instruction because at some point this is going to happen. Pink elephants, polka-dotted elephants, not going to overtake your living room. You don't need to worry about what's going to happen. But our Christian brothers and sisters are going to be overtaken. We are at times going to be overtaken in a trespass. And there is instruction that what we should do when that happens.
the word trespass. There's all different types of words in the Bible, especially in older translations uh, for, that describe um, offenses against God. There's trespass, there's sin, there's snares, there's shortcomings, um, there, there's offense, there's all these different titles. And the word trespass literally means to fall beside or near something or to fall down. It means more literally a lapse or deviation from uprightness. You were standing and now you're falling. It's a trespass. It's more loosely defined as a sin. All these words, snare, overcome, trespass, sin, transgression, all these words basically refer to the same thing, and that's sin. And and so we got to know what sin is. If someone asked you what sin is, you might be tempted to go on a long list and describing to them what sin is. Well, we need to get our definitions about sin. The Bible from the Bible and first John 3 4 says whosoever committeth sin transgresseth the law and listen to this definition for sin is the transgression of the law all right so somebody is paying attention and is a a someone who can read with comprehension based on what's on the screen tell me what is sin y'all are so smart sin is transgression of the law Anytime you do something that opposes what this book says, this is the law, this book. Sin is transgression of the law. Anytime you do anything that is against this book, that is a sin. It might be referred to as a snare, a shortcoming. It might be referred to as a trespass or a transgression, but it is ultimately a sin. The Greek word for sin means to miss the bullseye. It's an archery term. It means you didn't hit the target. Somebody told you to shoot it there and you missed. Uh, We all miss. The famous verse to tell everybody that we're all sinners is that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, what that literally says in the Greek is that everyone has transgressed the law and missed the mark. You've transgressed the law and you didn't hit the bullseye. So it, 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 implica- it indicates for us, it infers for us that as believers, we should be aiming at something. We should be aiming at the bullseye. We should be attempting to hit the mark. We should be attempting to walk uprightly and to do what God tells us to do in this book. But let me, let me give you a, a spoiler alert. We all fail. We all fail. The best of the best fail so we've got sins we got transgressions they all fall into this broader category of sin or not pleasing God so when we see somebody let me be more specific when we see a Christian sin there are steps we need to take when you see an unbeliever sin that should not really impact you highly Uh, you see an unbeliever sin you ought to expect that I use the same illustration all the time. If I come over to your house and you have a dog in your house and a water bowl in your kitchen and I see your dog crawl on all fours and lap water out of a water bowl, I am not going to freak out. 
I expect that to happen. Dog lives in a house, got a water bowl. Makes sense to me. If I see one of your children crawl on all fours and walk up to that, crawl up to that dog bowl and lap water out of that dog bowl, we're going to have a conversation because that's not normal to me. What am I saying? Sinners sin. That don't freak me out. Stop nagging unsaved people. If you know them to be unsaved and you keep harassing them about getting high, your whole message is invalid. They don't need to stop getting high. They need to get saved and let God deal with their their drug issue. They don't need to stop getting drunk. A lost person never needs to stop getting drunk, ever. They need to get saved and let God deal with their drinking. Saved people need to stop getting drunk. Saved people need to stop getting high. You see the difference? Let me keep moving. It tells us, brethren, Christians, if a Christian person is overtaken in a fault, now look at this next, in a trespass, look at this next phrase. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. So it tells who can do it and how it must be done. Who can do it and how it must be done. I've told you what it tells you. You ought to be able to answer this question uh, if, if you're paying attention. If not, just listen to somebody else answer it. It tells who can do it and how it must be done. So let me ask you this. Is every Christian in a position to be the one to go out and tell another Christian what they need to do to get their act together? No, they are not. No, they are not. Every Christian is not qualified to restore the backslider. Only the spiritual. That didn't say perfect. That didn't say got their act all the way together. It just said spiritual. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Listen, that's the whole stick in your eye splinter in your brother's eye thing. Stop saying that the Christians aren't supposed to judge. The Bible says the spiritual man judges all things. You're supposed to judge whether or not you want to eat that weird-smelling broccoli the restaurant puts on your plate. I would say don't. You're supposed to judge whether or not the lettuce on your hamburger is too brown to leave on your hamburger. I say take it off. I mean, that's just common sense. Judging is, is not wrong, neither is it forbidden in the Bible, because the same Matthew chapter 7 passage that all lost people and ungodly people know that says, Judge not, goes on to say, as long as your life is all messed up, Not that you're not perfect, but if your life is so jammed up that you have a gigantic tree sticking out of your face, and the whole world can see how jacked up you are, you're not the one. It says, get that log out of your eye and then go to your brother or your sister. Judge them and help them get that splinter out of their eye. Everybody's not qualified to restore the backslider. But some people are. And what type of person must you be to be qualified to go help somebody out of their sin? Spiritual. All right, so we got to figure out what spiritual is. This is going to be the easiest hard question I've ever asked you. Outside of this 10-minute setup I just went through, there probably wouldn't be a lot of people in the room that would have the answer to this question. I'm going to, I've already given you the biggest part of the answer, but any word that starts, uh, that ends with ology is the study of something, okay? Biology, study of man, all right? I want to talk to you a little bit tonight. I want you to understand 
what pneumatology is. Pneuma is spelled with a P, P-N-E-U-M-A-T-O-L-O-G-Y, pneumatology. It's a theological word. It's the study of something based on what we've been talking about. Anybody got any guesses at what pneumatology is? The study of the work of the Holy Spirit or the spirituals. It's studying about spirituality. And the problem that we've got in pulpits across the world today, in radio and TV preachers around the world today, is we have non-theologians teaching and preaching the Word of God. We have people teaching and preaching the Word of God that don't know anything about deeper or broader theology. They just know how to sound good on a microphone. And the problem in the pew in today's churches is we've got people that don't know anything about the Bible or theology. Because we have emotionalized church, we have glamorized church, we've made it about how pretty the building is, how pretty the worship leader is, how great the band is, how lights, camera, action, how good the parking is, how good the children's programs are, and that's the church people go to. We've emotionalized it to as long as there's a good song service so you can leave feeling uplifted and not remember anything that was said biblically, you feel like you've had an enjoying day. And you can sing until your tongue falls out late in the midnight hour. Uh, God's going to turn it around. He's going to work in your favor. But if you don't know anything biblically about the way God works, that, that's just, you, you may as well be singing, you know, um, back it up or drop it like it's hot or any other ungodly lyric that you've ever heard in your life because it's not helping you. Lyrics don't help you. Songs based in the word of God that you have a biblical understanding of will help you. And that's why the great songs of the faith were written um, from scriptural text. And that's a message for a different time. But I'll keep going. The study of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. We got to understand that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is alive. The Bible teaches a triune God. One God who has chosen to reveal himself in three different ways. Primarily as the Father throughout all age. Also as the Son who took on flesh and became a human being 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. We call him Jesus. And always, all three of these have existed forever together with God, haven't always been manifest. We believe in a pre-incarnate Christ. If you want to be a real theologian, study what pre-incarnate position of Christ is. Study Christology. Let's just check y'all out because y'all learning theology tonight. If biology is the study of man, pneumatology is the study of the spirit, Christology is probably what? Y'all so smart. Y'all ought to have degrees in Bible. But these three ways that God has chosen to reveal himself to us are separate and distinct. And the Holy Spirit is alive And the Holy Spirit has a role in the life of the believer. Ephesians 4.30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, the only people that are sealed by the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption are Christians. And God is telling Christians not to grieve the Holy Spirit. We do this all the time. You should have the answer. You should know he's going to ask, Why would God tell Christians not to grieve the Holy Spirit? Because we do, and we can. And this is your choice every day. You get up and you choose to be spiritual or not. 
You get up and you choose to grieve the Holy Spirit or not. Every day we make this choice to grieve God or to honor God. And tonight I want us to try to understand before we get out of here that there's a big difference between spiritual and a word I've talked to you about before, carnal. C-A-R-N-A-L, spiritual. All throughout the New Testament, Christianity is referenced in two major categories. Spiritual Christians and carnal Christians. Spiritual means of the spirit. A life that is focused on and living inside the spirituals. Carnal comes from a Greek word, sarkikos, which means of the flesh. And a carnal Christian is someone whose life is based in and surrounded by fleshly things. So you've got this carnal Christian and you've got this spiritual Christian. Now, let's, let's just take a, a, a quick vote. How, how, how many people think that there are more carnal Christians in the world than spiritual Christians? That's for sure. Because it takes nothing to be carnal. It takes nothing. Um, the second law of thermodynamics teaches that anything left alone and by itself is in a state of degradation. You put an apple outside, is it going to get better or worse? It's just going to get worse. Now, if you put a McDonald's hamburger outside, that's, a, that's an exception to that law. They put a McDonald's hamburger inside a car in a junkyard for a year, sealed up in the heat. They went back and pulled it out of that car after a year. There were no noticeable changes to that burger at all. It lost no size, no shape, no structure, and did not change in taste. I want to know who tasted it. Wasn't going to be me. Uh, But, you know, there's always an exception to every law. McDonald's burgers, you know, takes that law out. But as human beings, if we're not trying really hard to avoid carnality, we will lapse into it. We will fall down. It's harder to stand up than it is to lay down. You don't believe me? Ask yourself on a Sunday afternoon when your nap ain't been long enough, is it easier just to lay here or to stand up? Ask yourself on a Monday morning if you've been out too late all weekend long, which way it's harder to stand up. Standing up is being spiritual. Falling down is being Carnal, and this is the choice that we have to make. Here's one thing that I want you to know. I've told you before, but we've got to get it. You can be spiritual without being a Christian. And you can be a Christian without being spiritual. Did you get that? There are lost people out there that are spiritual. They light incense. They hum. They chant. They they look within themselves. Uh, I, I see all this stuff on social media Some good Christian woman would be like, my daughter was in a car wreck. Please keep us in prayer. And these these unsaved people are like sending good thoughts your way. Does that require first-class stamp? I mean, is that that priority mail? How are you sending good thoughts my way? Uh, Good vibes your way. Positivity your way. How are you sending positivity my way? Is that UPS? Is Is that something that, you know... I mean, you, you just got some type of magic spell. Do you have to wave a wand? All that's foolishness and lies, and it's a perversion that the devil has tricked people into believing that is a reality. Sending prayers your way. Well, you can do that. How do you do that? By talking to God and asking God to help somebody. But So you got people who are spiritual without being a Christian. That's common sense. The sad reality is there's a lot of Christians that aren't spiritual. And it never becomes spiritual. 
And you might live the rest of your life as a non-spiritual Christian. And I want to tell you something. Being a non-spiritual Christian is a horrible thing. It'll wear you down. It'll, it'll make you bitter. It'll exhaust you. It will make the things of God seem hard and ungraspable. It will cause you to wonder if the people around you that look like they're enjoying their Christianity are faking it. These are all things that people really deal with. I have been in church service and had heard someone standing in front of me leaning over and say, look at so-and-so. She ain't all that holy. Talking about somebody who was deep in praise and worship on, on, on the praise team. That type of criticism is born out of either an unsaved mindset or a carnal mindset because they do not believe that some human being with issues can really grab a hold of God and be that, that excited about God. I tell you all all the time, everybody's only one prayer away from being totally right with God. So if Deacon Jimmy and Deacon Henry went out and did bad things last night and their wives didn't find out and kill them, and they came to church tonight, but separately they found a corner or got in their car before they came in and they repented and they got their mind and their heart right toward God. Can they come in here in full fellowship and in full worship of God even if they were doing dirt last night? Absolutely they can. So don't sit there and look at somebody and say, oh, I just saw where, where she was at last week. and She's up there raising her hands screaming hallelujah like she loves the Lord. Are you in her head 24 hours a day to know if she's repented or not? See, this is why some of our backslidden believers won't come back to church. Because they know they're going to be talked about. They know, oh, I heard you got him. What? Well, let's pull you out on Main Street. That's not the way Christians need to live. We need to live with this divine awareness that everybody is a sinner and God forgives sin. Worry about you. Get your head and mind together. You come serve God, realize He forgives you, He can forgive other people. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I hope you're reading 1 Corinthians a lot lately. Uh, Paul is talking to what is theologically accepted broadly as the most carnal church in the first century. They're doing a lot of good things. It was a big church, but it had a lot of problems. And anytime you have people, you're going to have problems. Anytime you have a lot of people, you're going to have a lot of problems. In verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 3, he said, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. So Paul says, I, this is the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. He says he's speaking to brethren, so he's speaking to Christians at Corinth. He says, I'm the Apostle. I couldn't even talk to you believers as if you were spiritual. I had to talk to you like carnal people, even like babies in Christ. So a carnal person, in God's mind, is very similar to a baby. Well, what are some things that babies do a lot of? Whine, cry, complain, pitch fit, have their own way, get mad if everything's not theirs, selfish, immature, I'll take my ball and go play somewhere else. You see somebody acting like a baby, you know two things about them. Either they are unsaved. Or they're carnal. Because a carnal is a baby in Christ. Doesn't matter if you've been saved for 200 years. If you are immature, you're carnal. You're a baby. 
You're not on big things. You're not, you don't have big boy pants on. Verse 2, he said, I fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you're not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. These people have been saved for a long time. He had preached in their church. He, they, they had read circular letters. They, they had been ministered to. They had done ministry. They had been saved long enough to have grown some, but they were still immature. See, your spiritual chronology does not always play a direct role in your Christian maturity. I've been saved for 35 years. I don't always act as if I'm 35 years old in faith. When I had been saved for one year, I I was literally a 12-month-old Christian, but I was so deep and so mature in my word by then, I was already preaching around the nation. Your chronology, the length of time in the natural that you've been in Christ doesn't necessarily equate to where you're at on a maturity scale. We can't say, oh, well, you've been saved one year and I've been saved two years, so I'm, I'm more spiritual than you are. No, you, you, you should be, but everybody doesn't come along at the rate they should come along. And Paul goes on in verse 3 and he says, for you're carnal. You're, st- you're yet, you're still carnal. For whereas there's among you envying, strife, and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? When he says walk, walk as men, rhetorically, he said, don't you see that you're carnal? You walk just like unsaved people, unregenerate men, human beings that have never been changed by God. You're just like an unsaved person. So a carnal person exhibits the behavioral patterns of babies in their behavior, and unsaved people are babies in their attitudes and actions and unsaved people in their behavior. In verse 2, put that back on the screen for me. In verse 2, he says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. All right, now somebody who's had children, um, I mean, don't, I mean, unless yours went on, you know, even I know four is too old. But um, how, long, how long do average babies breastfeed? Yeah, six months, a year, whatever. Then if they're five, six years old, is that that too long? If they're 12, 13 years old, I don't care what your breastfeeding policy is. I know some people are big like, I should be able to breastfeed in public, and others like, I wish you'd go to the bathroom. Uh, I'm not here to debate that with you, but I think we can agree you shouldn't be breastfeeding a 14-year-old in public. (laughs) Or private. These people were still on milk. They still had to be held, babied, and the only way they could even receive anything. See, the Bible says of itself that this is food for our soul. This is food for our inner man. The Bible is the milk and the meat that helps us grow on the inside. Well, can babies eat meat typically? No, they should not. They should not be expected to. They should get nourished through milk. But if they're growing at the right rate, if there's not something wrong with them, you want to transition them from milk to mush to solid food to meat. It is a natural progression of healthy maturity for a child. God shows this figuratively in how we should be understanding him and taking in truth from the Bible. Milk is easy stuff. 
Soft, simple, easy to digest. Just really simple. It's not complex. It's tiny little bit. Meat is harder to digest and takes a lot to chew on. He's saying, I can't talk to you about the deeper things in God. I can't even get you deep in your faith because you're such a baby. It's not a good thing. But most Christians aren't really ready to talk deep theology, and that's the trap of the devil. I've met so many young Christians who allowed the enemy or their own intellectualism to cause them to want to study the book of the Revelation, and they hadn't even read 1 John yet. Mistake. Going, you, it's, it's, that's, that's real median through there. That's catfishish. That's bone-filled. You could choke on it. And you, it, Daniel, Ezekiel, young believers, you, you, you need to be reading 1 John a hundred times, then read the Gospel of John a hundred times, then read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then read everything in the New Testament and read everything in the New Testament 15 more times, and then read the first, books of the, first five books of the Bible, then read Psalms, then read Proverbs, then read all 26 books, not counting the book of the Revelation in the New Testament 15 more times, and then move on to Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, and then read the Gospels ten more times. And then read Psalms and Proverbs again. And then read 1 John 75 more times. Then read the pastoral epistles 15 more times. And then when you get to that, then read Song of Solomon after you get married. If you don't know, ask somebody. Then read the book of the Revelation. Then read Daniel. Then read Ezekiel. And read it with an older Christian that you can ask questions before you come away um, with a lot of catfish bones stuck in your neck. But some people in this room have been saved long enough. We said three months, six months, a year, four years. If you've been saved past three, six months, a year, you ought to be transitioning off basic, barely acting like a baby to starting to grow some in your Christianity. These people were not growing at the right rate spiritually, so Paul had to correct them. But there's a clear message in this text in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that there are Christians who are spiritual and there are Christians who are carnal. So we go back to our original text in Galatians 6 that there's, there's certain people who can restore backsliders and certain can't. We said the qualification was spiritual. So what does it typically mean if... Uh, preacher, a theologian, a Christian talks about being spiritual in Christ. Well, it means someone who is governed by the Spirit of God. Someone whose life is concentrated on the spirituals. Someone who is living inside of a spiritual mindset. I told you, carnal means fleshly or pertaining to the things of the flesh or under the control of your basic appetites. Babies do what they want to do without thought to anything else. Little kids, they're going to eat what appeals to them, not what they think is best for them. And this is how baby Christians live. Spiritual means to be governed and controlled by and under the power of the things of the Spirit as defined by God's holy word. So carnal Christians are called babes in Christ. Spiritual Christians are called you who are spiritual or you who are spiritually minded. Listen 
I'll read it real quick, and then we'll get out of here. In, in a different translation, or in a different version, the three verses in 1 Corinthians 3, 1. Verse 1 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to mature Christians. I had to talk to you as though you only belonged to this world and as though you were infants in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk and not with solid food because you couldn't handle anything stronger. And you still aren't ready. For you're still controlled by your own sinful desires. You're jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you're controlled by your own desires? You're acting like people who don't belong to the Lord. There's so many people like that in church. There's so many people like that that I couldn't even go to and discuss things on a mature level with because they're not ready to deal with matured things. They're not ready for big boy things. The problem with that happens when people who aren't really ready for big boy things but who think they are find themselves serving the Lord. Now, if we needed somebody to carry out these chairs, we would need somebody with a servant's heart. Um, should we go with adults to carry these chairs out and move them in a different room, or should we go with the babies in the nursery to carry these heavy chairs out and move them? No, you won't do big boy things. You've got to get big boys to do it. And I want to warn you tonight against taking on too much that you're not ready for. You're smart enough not to put catfish down to your one-year-old with bones in it. You wouldn't do that, I don't think. I hope not. You grew up in the South, you know better. You got to teach people how to eat catfish in the South. There's lots of small bones in catfish. You choke on them. Don't be so unwise in where you are spiritually that you try to take on stuff that you're not ready for because it will cause problems for you. Romans 8, 6 says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You want to know whether you're carnal or spiritual? What's your mindset? Same verse in a different version says, If your spirit, if, if your sinful nature controls your mind, there is death. But if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there is life and peace. So here we see this definition of carnal versus spiritual. Your sinful nature controls your mind. That makes you carnal. Your, the Holy Spirit controlling your mind makes you spiritual. And the bottom line is there's a choice, and it starts in the mind, but it results in action. Galatians chapter 5 talks about the works of the flesh and the, fruit of, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And I want you to listen. This is the last passage of Scripture I'm going to read, and we're going to get out of here. I want you to listen to these five verses. There's going to be, in the first three verses, a bunch of descriptions of flesh that's going to identify carnal people and in the last two verses it's going to be a bunch of descriptions of spirit and that's going to identify spiritual people and I want you to take a real inventory and see where you are because verse 19 in Galatians 5 says when you follow the desires of your sinful nature the results are very clear colon that indicates that there is more coming in this passage a list of things that will prove that you're following your sinful nature. The results are sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasure, idolatry, sorcery, which is the same word we get pharmacology from, which applies to drug addiction, 
hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, and division. Verse 21, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. That means if we didn't hit yours, it's in there too. Let me tell you again, as I've said before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are sins that can pop up in the life of the Christian, but anybody that lives this type of lifestyle as their way of life is truly not born again. But these are things that Christians can have to deal with. Verse 22 gives, and 23 gives a list of what it looks like to be spiritual. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Now remember, fruit is something that is hanging off the branch of a tree that identifies the nature of the tree. A lot of preachers say it this way, the fruit declares the root. I don't know what an apple tree looks like if it don't have apples on it, but if it's got apples on it, I can tell it's an apple tree. It tells you what's going on on the inside. And this is the fruit of people who are spiritual on the inside. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these there is no law. It's bad when you've read one version your whole life and then you try to read. I'm staring right at it. I know it doesn't say against these there is no law. It says there is no law against these things. It says it different in my version or the version that I read out of. So we got this whole list of things that people who are controlled by the flesh do. And we've got this smaller list of people who are controlled by the spirit do. So two things in closing for you to think about. Number one, are you carnal or are you spiritual? That's the first thing. Decide which one of those you are. Are you carnal or are you spiritual? I mean, there's, there's no money award. There's no prize. There's no ribbon for this. But we do need to be honest about where we are. Is your life more characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Or is your life more characterized by sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties? Let me tell you something. You hear somebody got drunk, that's one statement. You hear somebody gets drunk all the time, don't tell me they're spiritual. Drunkenness is a state of mind. Drunkenness is a repetitive thing. Well, Noah got drunk once that we know of. Wasn't every weekend getting turned up at the club. So we need to decide. And you need to be honest. You don't need to tell me, but you need to tell God. First step in, in solving a problem is identifying a problem. If you're carnal, you ought to know it. If you're prone to jealousy, if you're a baby, if you're immature, if you're selfish, if you have your own agenda, if you're just always involved in, 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 in trying to uh, stir up problems and cause division and dissension because you want to have your way, <laughs> then, then you, you just need to go ahead and check off lost or carnal. The second thing to think about is which one do you really want to be? Figure out which one you are, and then secondly, figure out which one you want to be. And if you can say, I'm cool being a drunk, whoremongering, argumentative, childish, self-agenda-driven quarreler, then you might really want to check your heart for salvation. 
you should say, I want to be the one that pleases God the most. And the one that pleases God the most is the one whose life is filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Does that mean we will never have any of these other things prop up in our life? That doesn't mean that at all. As long as you're encased in this flesh, you're going to have trouble in life. The scripture says of the Holy Spirit, we have this treasure in an earthen vessel. We possess God in natural bodies. And as long as we got this natural body to deal with, it's going to have appetites. It's going to have desires that are contrary to God. It's going to make you want to do whatever it is that pulls your wagon. Some people would never smoke. Others would never drink. It always blows me away when someone says, oh, well, I can't believe that, that you, you uh, cuss. I would never cuss. Well, maybe they don't drink. Maybe they would never drink. Uh, what, the devil knows which, which track. Maybe, maybe you smoke. Maybe you drink. Maybe you cuss. Maybe you do weed. Maybe you just like to cause problems and, and get people arguing. Maybe you're just always trying to get your own way and work at some secret scam. All these things can pop up in the life of a carnal believer. And it doesn't matter how mature you are in Christ. One second with your eyes off God, it's like walking on a high wire. You may be 500 stories above the ground. Take your eye off the wire for a minute. Don't take long to be back down to nothing. Same way in your walk with Christ. And that's the problem. And that's why it's so hard to find people who've been in any one church for more than three years. Average pastor stays 18 months to 36 months and moves on to an easier place. The average church member stays less than 12 months. Because by 12 months, we'd figured you out. We'd seen your dirt. You showed your backside. You had a chance to get corrected by me. And we saw how you dealt with correction. And the Bible says that it's my job to correct people. People think that I like it. My sister tell you, I am confrontation adverse in my heart. But I'm, I'm not enough of a coward to back away from it when it has to be done. I don't enjoy confrontation. I don't enjoy correcting people. I've cried out to God. I've cried to my mama and said, Mama, I just wish I could just have, you know, uh, one of these easy ministries where I just preach soft things and everybody loves me. I'm out here shoving broccoli and collard greens down people's throat and they're spitting at me because they don't want to eat that. They want ice cream and jelly beans. But the Bible commands me as the senior pastor of this church to re reprove, rebuke, to correct. That's my job. And that's why most people leave every church they've ever been in in a series of months because stick around long enough, you're going to see the front side of my office. Probably. And the Bible says if you correct a wise person, they will grow wiser and they will love you. If you correct a foolish person, they will, they will hate you. I told you what my mom said. I told her about... I'm tired of preaching these hard messages and always being one stepping on toes and hearing people say, Pastor, I like your messages, but man, I feel beat up. I don't want to beat anybody up. That don't do me joy. I want to encourage you to be a better Christian. My toes have been stomped on, Pastor. Every time I come, you're stomping on my toes. My mom said, son, keep stomping on my toes because if my feet are walking in the wrong direction, God put you in my life to kick me back into the right lane. We need to stay in our lane. And you need to thank God for somebody willing to let you know to stay in your lane. I'm horn honking at first. Please don't honk your horn at me on the, on the side of the road. I got post-traumatic stress. I got it, you know, I don't honk horns at me. Not, not that angry honk. Nah! 
I'm like, it just, that just gets me. There's too much road rage. Don't do me like that. You can set me off. You might trigger me right back into the military or worse. Um, don't, 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 don't do that to me. But if I'm falling asleep and drifting into your lane, feel free to, to, to honk at that point. Okay? There's a difference. You're just mad because I didn't come off the red light as fast as you want me to? You know, that'll get somebody coming out the car with a weapon. You get too honky on the wrong person. I said honky in church. That'd be honky. Get your, get your pejoratives correct. You should be glad for somebody who honks the horn at you when you're about to have a major wreck. And that's what I'm here to do. Are you carnal or are you spiritual? Which one do you want to be? I want to pastor spiritual people, which means I need to be a spiritual person. I can't restore you if I'm not spiritual. That's what we learned in our first verse that we looked at tonight. Everybody can't go help somebody who's sliding back. Only somebody who's spiritual. And even then, they have to do it gently and in a spirit of meekness, considering their own self. So they don't get overthrown. When people come off the, off the frame in church, don't be shocked by it. It ain't, new, it ain't new to abundant life. It ain't new to God. It ain't new to the Bible. Paul was dealing with these people. Moses was dealing with these people. Abraham was dealing with these people. Adam was dealing with these people. Inside his own family. Okay? Here's what your response needs to be. Because the tool of the enemy... I don't remember if it was Stalin, Lenin, who it was. One of them said it. One evil dictator that meant the world hate that was pushing uh, a communist or socialist agenda said of America, we, we will never have to bomb America. We would destroy them bit by bit from within. That was Stalin that said that? That is a strategy he learned from the devil because you can be sure he was the devil's buddy. You don't have to be a history major to know Stalin was the devil's buddy. He learned that strategy from the devil. You don't have to launch no Scud missiles at nobody. You just plant enough evil and let them tear themselves up from the inside. They'll turn on each other. Y'all know what the crab effect is? How many know what the crab effect is? You put them crabs in a bowl, what happens? They just pull each other back down. You know, you know what? If you, if you put uh, armadillos in, they crawl out on top of each other. Now, personally, I'd rather eat a crab than an armadillo, but, you know, it doesn't mean one's smarter than the other. Don't be involved in people's dissension. Don't be involved in people's division. Don't be involved in people's gossip. Because here is the overriding thing. I said everything I said tonight to get to this place. If there's any honesty in you at all, any, you could co-sign on the statement I'm about to make. Now, if you can't co-sign on this statement, you need, to, you need to find Jesus. But if there's any honesty in you at all, you could co-sign on this statement. 
I really can't get caught up in anybody else's drama because I just got a full-time job trying to keep me straight. I can't really get caught up in anybody else's foolishness because I can't add not one more ounce of foolishness to my own plate. If you don't realize that you got enough to deal with in your own relationship with Christ, and that's why pastoring is so difficult, because and ministering in general, but pastoring gets so stretched out. I'm a single parent. I got two boys to raise. That don't happen by itself. I preach two to three messages a week. That don't happen on its own. Seminaries say the average message takes 30 hours to prepare. That's 120 hours to preach three times a week. If you feel like I'm saying anything. Ethan used to tell me all the time. He'd say, well, just get up there and wing it. <laughs> the boys would be mad. They're like, Look, can we go somewhere on Saturdays? I lock down. Like, can we, can we go to the pool? Will you go to the pool with us? Can we go somewhere? Can we go to a son's game? You know, I got to study. Well, can't you just wing it? You, you've been doing it so long, you could wing it. Well, most people have been doing their job long enough that they could wing it. And I could. But God wouldn't honor it. And you wouldn't hear anything. If you hear something, it's not because I said something right. It's because God let you hear it. I got two kids I got to raise, plus Ethan. I got a church I got to oversee. I got bills I got to pay. I got a house I got to upkeep. I got businesses outside the church I got to deal with. I got counseling. I spent three hours. I went by to my bank for five minutes the other day. I told the kids, hey, I got to go to the bank. I'll be right back. I ended up counseling a woman in tears for three hours at the bank that I've known for a long time who just went through a horrible event with one of her children and needs massive prayer. And the big thing is, you know, and then I got past 95 minutes, past 95 minutes, can I talk to you for a minute and a half? And uh, it's just like Sunday, somebody needed to talk to me for five minutes. I always get somebody to come in there with me, number one, because, you know, I need a, a witness. And number two, I just want them to see what five minutes is like. We left at 2.15 Sunday. Uh, but the biggest thing is I got my own personal relationship with God to maintain. And that's a daily effort. If you will realize you got you to stay focused on, it will be easier for you to be spiritual. You start taking on other people's hurts. You start taking on other people's division. You start taking on other people's pain. You start taking on other people's drama. You start sitting around listening to other people gossiping and complaining when you should be loving on your family, washing your dishes, vacuuming your own house, when you should be reading your Bible and saying your prayers and ministering to your neighborhood. You sit around and you waste time gossiping on the phone and on the internet when you should be doing better things than that. You have no chance of being spiritual. Don't let other people put junk on your plate. Don't do it. It's like, <laughs> my plate's full, dog. I, I got no room. I, I, I can't deal with what I got. I can't use no more. Don't do it. Choose spirituality. But to be spiritual takes effort. And it's as easy as these three things I've been telling you since we started. Read your Bible. Say your prayers. And make good choices. And when you get up tomorrow, you do it all over again. You start every day in prayer and in Bible study. 
And you go throughout your day and you make the best choice you can at every turn throughout that day. And then when you lay your head down at night, you ask God to forgive you for the things that you failed at. And you give God glory for the things that you succeeded at. And you get up tomorrow and you do it all over again. Well, that's not exciting, Pastor. That's life. That's life. And that's how you honor God. That's how you honor your family. That's how you honor your parents. And you make the best choice you can every day. But if you're not reading your Bible and saying your prayers, you're not equipped to make good choices. you got to hear a fresh word from God every day. Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. You can't live off the Bible you learned yesterday or last year. You need a fresh word for today's battle. Read your Bible. Say your prayers. And make good choices. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Help us to choose spiritual over carnal. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. God, please forgive us where we have grieved your spirit. Please forgive us where we have exhibited carnality and wrongdoing and sin. God, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit. Compel us, constrain us unto righteousness. Thank you for this book. Thank you for this country where we're allowed to hold this book in our hands and read these words as often as we choose. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to read these words more. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org.